Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to open your word and to study. We ask you to be with us and guide us as we look at this. And let us see what it is you'd want us to see from this. As we lift up those who are not, not doing well and their health, that you will touch their bodies and those that are just away for personal reasons. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, Judges chapter 15, starting at verse 1. And last we left, Samson had gotten mad at his wedding ceremony and left before the ceremony was over. Yeah. And here is the conclusion of that story. And plus he didn't get married. Yeah. Verse 1. But it came to pass within a while after that in the time of the wheat harvest that Samson visited his wife with a kid and said, I will go into my wife and into the chamber. But her father would not suffer him to go in. And her father said, I verily thought that you had utterly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister fairer than her? Take her, I pray you, instead of her. And Samson said concerning them, Now I shall be more blameless than the Philistines, though I do to them a displeasure. And Samson went and caught 300 fox and took firebrands and turned them tail to tail and put a firebrand in the midst between two tails. And when he had set the brands on fire, he let them go into the standing corn in the, of the Philistines and burnt both the shocks and the standing corn and the vineyards and the olives. And the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he had taken his wife and given her to his companions. And the Philistines came up and burnt her and her father with fire. All right. So we have Samson. He went off in an angry fit because, if you remember, he asked a riddle of his 30 uh, given friends for his, <laughs> for his uh, funeral wedding. Uh, and they, they bugged his wife, you know, future wife to tell, you know, find out what the riddle was and tell them so they could tell him. And he got so mad at him, remember, he killed 30 people, took their clothes and their, their garments and gave them to him. And then he went out in a fit of rage and left the wedding. The father, probably quite naturally, thinks that Samson's angry with his daughter, you know, and, and hates her and is not coming back. And in verse 2, in verse 1, it says, And it came to pass within a while after, in the time of the wheat harvest. Now, many of us probably don't know what that means, but it means the end of April, the beginning of May. So the beginning of April, begin, the end of April, beginning of May, he comes back to, to uh, claim his bride finally. And we don't know how long that was because it doesn't tell us when, it, when he went away. Uh, and he came with, came to visit his wife, and he brought a goat. And he says, I'm going to go into her and, and lay with her, basically. I'm going to go into the chamber with her. We're going to have a party. We're going to have our own party. We're going we're to finish this wedding ceremony. And her father said he couldn't go in. Yeah. And his father he said, you know, I truly thought that you had hated her. And in, in Hebrew, this utter hatred literally is hatred, hatred. It's two times hatred. It is strong. And it's intensified. And he says, so I gave her to one of your, one of your companions. One of, one of your 30 friends I gave her to. He, he wanted her. Yeah, this, is, this is something that is kind of comical in one sense. You know, he, remember we said he came to his marriage ceremony and he didn't bring any friends with him to his ceremony. And 
They've invited him friends from who knows where. They just grabbed 30, 30 men to be his friends, and he gets to party with total strangers as he gets ready for it, and she, get, and she gets and goes off and marries one of them, uh, consummates with one of them. Uh, you know, so the father now trying to placate Samson says, hey, well, I thought you hated her. You know, hey, you know, here's her younger sister. She's prettier anyway. And, you know, kind of an interesting thing on here. And he says, he says, take her. Uh, you know, she's prettier. Now, kind of strange that the father would say that. And I don't know where she was. Samson obviously is not going to think, you know, that she was that great a catch. He wanted, he wanted the other daughter. And, you know, if you truly think you're in love, you know, Nobody else will do. You, know, you want the one that you want, and it doesn't matter if the other one's prettier or better, you know, a better communicator. It doesn't, and nothing matters. You want the one you want. And Samson says, Now I shall be blameless, more blameless than the Philistines, though I do unto them a displeasure. And Samson says, I'm going to make you pay. The Philistines, you know, this family, this family took his, my wife and gave him to somebody else. And this, and this Yahoo, who, who, who plowed my heifer, as he said in his, in his you know, previous statement, uh, you know, he and my other 29 companions, you know, tricked me. They were, they're all Philistines. The Philistines are going to pay for this event. And if you remember in chapter one, that, or the first part of this chapter, excuse me, story, it said that Samson wanted this woman of the Philistines, and her parents kept begging him, you know, can't you find a woman of our own people, of your own family? And remember the little statement, they knew not that God sought a revenge against the Philistines. Here, Samson is not going to be like most of the uh, judges. He is not going to go rescue the people for their own sake. He's, he's got a vendetta against the Philistines, and he's going to put them in their place and basically scare them as he gets to the end of this chapter with his, with his power and his strength. But he says, I am going to be revenged. I'm going to do this evil. I'm going to do evil with them. And it says he went out and he caught 300 fox. Now, I don't know how long it takes to catch 300 fox. Probably a while, unless fox were everywhere this, in this place. Um, an entire, an entire uh, whatever you call a, a grouping of fox. He gets 300 of them, and that's a lot of fox. He gathers them, and he gets the 300 fox. He ties their tails together, and he ties a torch between their tails, and then he lights it. Okay, now this is a mean thing to do to the fox. It's a mean thing to do to, the, to this. In our day and age, the... Uh, Humane society would be at his door to arrest him for doing this. Uh, but he, he sticks this torch between that. So he's got 150 torches being sent off. And you've got to figure these fox are going to be in terror. Uh, most dogs don't like fire in the first place. And they've got a fire on their tail. And they're going to be running. They're, they're tied together, which is going to scare them. These fox are in terror, and they're going to run as fast as they can everywhere that they're let loose. So he let, the, he let these fox go, and they went out in amongst the corn and the standing corn that was you know, out in the fields of the Philistine, and he burnt both the shocks, which are the stacks of, stacks of corn, uh, stacks of wheat, uh, and also the standing, the ones that haven't been done, 
the fox got into the vineyards and the olive trees, and he is setting up a blaze. This is going to make the Philistines quite upset uh, because their land is being destroyed by one man. One man is going out and doing this, and he's causing huge problems with them. Why? Because his wife was given to somebody else, and he's going to take this vengeance on them. And think about this. What kind of fire this must be? The wheat fields are ablaze. The vineyards are ablaze. The, the olive, olive the uh, trees. Ablaze. The foxes are ablaze. <laughs> They're, they're in a panic, and I don't know how much damage a fox is going to have once it burn, once that burns down and, and burns down the, uh, into the strings and everything. Their, their tails are going to be singed, but I don't know if the fox are going to be completely hurt, but they're in a panic, and they're running. They probably got hurt running as much less. But he is starting a major fire in the, in the Philistia. Okay? This is a time when the grain is getting ready to harvest. That means it's it's dried out, and it hasn't had its rain so that they could harvest it, and he's lighting fire to it, and it's going to spread. He is destroying a crop that's ready to harvest, that's dried out, and it's going to cause a major fire. We, you know, we think of some of our f forest fires and everything. This is that kind of thing he's starting. He's, he's burning fields. No, they're, they're dry. You know, they are dry. They are tender. They are going to go up in flames quickly. And naturally, the Philistines are going to be congratulating him for it, right? <laughs> no, they're going to be very upset. They're going to be very, very irate. And then the Philistine says, who has done this? You know, who, let's investigate. Let, we're going to see who has done this. And the answer was Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companions. Okay, they understand. Samson obviously is not being very quiet about this. He's saying, "I did this, and this is why." They gave my my they gave my wife away to, to a companion. And do you remember what was the threat the thirty companion companions made to the woman if she did not find the uh, secret out of the riddle? We're going to burn you and your family. So now that Samson burns all the fields around him, they go, the Philistines go to their house and they burn her and her family. Okay? They give her what they said they were going to do. Her sin found her out and she reaped the benefits of her sin, the reward for her sin, which was exactly what they said they were going to do in the first place. And you know, her family died because of all of this. Now, our family at this problem, point in time is probably sorry they ever got involved with Samson at all. Because here it is, you know, thinking he's angry, not coming back. They give her away because now she's had her wedding feast. They give her away, and now he comes back and causes all kinds of problems, and then the people kill, kill her and, the, and their family. Instead of going after Samson right away, they go after her. And this is one of the reasons that Philistia was under judgment, because of how evil and wicked they were. Mm -hmm. uh, this is the kind of stuff they did. They punished people who were not involved in, in the problem. And unfortunately, as our world gets more and more wicked, this is the kind of stuff that keeps happening in our day. We punish those who don't, are not really the culprits and don't punish the people who are the culprits. And this is a sad thing, but it is the way things go with sin. 
right, verse 7. And Samson said unto them, Though you have done this, yet I will be avenged of you, and after that I will cease. And he smote them hip and thigh with a great slaughter, and he went down and dwelt in the top of the rock Etan. And the Philistines went up and pitched in Judah and spread themselves in Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why are you come up against us? And they answered, To bind Samson are we come, and to do to him as he has done unto us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went up to the top of the rock of Etam and said to, said to Samson, Know you not the Philistines are rulers over us? What is this that you have done unto us? And he said to them, As they did unto me, so I have done unto them. And they said unto them, We are come to bind you, that we may deliver you into the hand of the Philistines. And Samson said unto them, Swear unto me that you will not fall upon me yourself. And they spoke unto him, saying, No, but we will bind you fast and deliver you into their hands. But surely we will not kill you. And they bound him with two new cords and brought him up from the rock. All right. So Samson says, you know, I'm going to be avenged. Now, now, you know, my first anger was with losing my wife. Now you have gone and killed her family. Now I'm going to give you revenge. And it says that he attacked them. He says, I'm going to avenge with you and then I'll be done. It says he smote them hip and thigh, which is a kind of a proverb. It means without mercy. He just he went in savagely killing them, and in, with a great slaughter. And he went down and dwelt on the top of the mount of the rock Etam, which means liar of wild beasts. Okay, so he goes down, finds that his wife has been given away, burns burns down their fields. They kill his wife and her family, so he says, fine, you killed her, now I'm going to kill you. And he kills, doesn't say how many, but he kills a lot of people. Now remember, this is our Nazarite. He is not supposed to touch anything dead. He's not supposed to touch any alcohol. He is not supposed to cut his hair. So remember, he's already drank a lot of, mon a lot of drink at the, f at the feast. He's killed the lion. He went back after the lion and pulled the honey out of the carcass of the lion. And now he's killing. He killed 30 people. He killed 30 people before. And now he's killing a whole bunch of people. We don't know how many. Basically, he's destroying the town. It says here later. Huh? It says in 16. It's a different battle. Hmm? That's a different battle. That's a different battle. He's got another battle coming in this chapter. After he gets done killing all these guys, he goes back to Israel, goes to the Mount Etam, the top of a rock, a mountain, a small mountain, and he just sets up a tent and, and stewing in his anger, probably. You know, he's probably spending a lot of time, woe is me. I got married, they gave my wife away, then they killed my wife, and now look what... You know, I've had to kill all these people, and life is so miserable. God is not doing anything good for me. Look at all the bad stuff that's happening to me. You know, we can picture what he's doing up there. He is just having a pity party. And too many times in our lives, we like to have pity parties. God, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? How come all these bad things are happening to us? And we've all been there and done this at various times in our life. You know, we'll hear it. God, how come? Why? Why are all these bad things happening to me? And this is where, this is where Samson is right now. Okay, lost, lost the girl that he loved. He's had a big battle. And he's just in a pity party. And the Philistines go up and they march into Judah. And they spread themselves at Lehi, which means jaw. Okay, 
uh, means, means John, and they pitch their tents, they're ready to go to battle. And the people of Judah, they go to themselves and they uh, kind of go, uh, what's going on? Why are you here? You know, you're, you're coming out as at war. You've already conquered us. Why are you here? They don't know what Samson's been doing down there in Philistia. News hasn't reached them that he's got a, made a great slaughter and burned on all their fields. And their answer is, to bind Samson are we coming to do with him as he has done unto us. In other words, he's killed a bunch of us. We're going to kill him. Uh, they're pretty brave. They're, they're, this is one of the things we talked about this. We're not sure what Samson looked like. Many people picture Samson as a big brawny man. And as I said last week, I really don't think that he was a big brawny man. He had power because God came upon him. And if he was a big brawny guy, then he would, he would look the part. He would, nobody would be surprised that he did anything. And yet, everybody's always surprised when he does these things. So I don't think he was a big brawny man. I could be wrong. It doesn't really matter. But they've come basically to arrest him. And basically, the threat is to Judah, uh, we're coming to get him. You can get him or we're going to take him. And if we have to take him, we're going to burn fields. Why? Because he had been burnt their fields. We're going to kill people. You know. If you want us to come and get him ourselves, we will do what he did to, uh, to us. He burnt our fields, he destroyed our crops, and he killed us. We're going to do the same thing to him and, his, and you people. Then 3,000 men of Judah went on top of the Mount Etam and said to Samson, don't you know that the Philistines are our rulers? Okay, 3,000 people are going to go up in to, to Samson. Now, I'm kind of wondering, does Samson have a bad reputation even in Judah? Did they, know, did they know what he was like and what, what, what he was capable of? That's a lot of people to go arrest one man. They probably did. I have a feeling they did. Otherwise, I can't see them sending 3,000. Or maybe they go, well, he's just killed you know, hundreds or thousands of us, and he's, da he's a dangerous man, so they send more. We don't know exactly why, but 3,000 is a lot of people to go arrest one man. Uh, and uh, they, they, it, it pictures that they were afraid of him. And... You know, and they go, they're, they're, they're chiding him. Don't you know there are masters, there are rulers, and you're, you're attacking them. You know, this is what would happen. This happens during wartime in occupied France when the French resistance would keep going against the Germans and causing problems. Many of their fellow Frenchmen were going, you know, the Germans are, are, are conquerors, are, are masters. Quit making them mad because every time you made the Germans mad, they killed you know, they would just take 10 or 20 people and kill them for, just for the sake of killing them and say, we don't, we don't know that we're getting the right people, but we're just going to kill some people. And that's the way dictators are. They don't, they don't care if they kill the people that are causing them problems because they know if they kill enough people that the people themselves will then turn in the resistance because they get tired of being killed. And this is what's going on here. It says, you know, we're going to kill, you know, there are masters. What do you think you're doing stirring them up? You know, we, we have a decent relationship. All we have to do is keep paying them an exorbitant tax and we're okay. They're not, they're not hurting us. And you're going down there causing problems is not helping matters. And that's basically what they've said to him. Samson, knock it off. Uh, and he says, and then they go to Samson and Samson makes a very simple statement to them and says, Swear to me that you're not going to kill me. If you bind me and take me to them, swear to me that you're not going to kill me. Okay, he did not want to hurt his own people. 
So he was willing to be bound up. He's, he's getting a picture of what happens when God comes upon him and how strong he gets. And I think he has an inclination already that if they bind him and he's down there amongst the Philistines, that those ropes are not going to, not going to hurt him. But he does not want his own people to kill him. He's hoping that the, the, the uh, poster, wanted poster isn't saying wanted dead or alive, Samson. You know, he's hoping it says alive and that he's going to make it there alive. And he makes them promise. And they said, no, we will not bind you. But we will, uh, we will not kill you. We will bind you and deliver you into their hands. But we're not going to kill you. Okay, get this right, Samson. We fully expect you to die when you go into their hands. But it's not going to be us that kills you. And Samson's understanding that. And he goes, okay. And he lets them bind him. And it says that they bound him with new cords that they brought up with them. Uh, new cords, they would be, have some elasticity to it. They would not, not be easily broken. They're not dried out. They're not, they're not, they're not uh, brittle. They're brand new cords that have been made. And, and they're going, this is going to hold him. He's not going to snap these. And uh, they bind him up. And they get him ready to be taken captive. Now, they know that what the Philistines have in store for him is death. They know this. Okay, he's gone out and he had what said was a great slaughter. And again, we don't know how big a great slaughter because this next one he gives is not described as a great slaughter. And they give a number to it. So he might have killed more people than the people he's going to do in this next battle. But he's given down them and he willingly sacrificed them. This is really kind of a picture of Jesus being willing to be sacrificed for his people. Not completely, but it is a picture of him saying, I will go. I, I'm, willing to, I'm willing to die. Now he's not going to die, but he's, I'm willing to go and I'm, I'm willing to place my hand, my life at the hands of the Philistines. Verse 14. And when he came unto Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the cords that were upon his arms became as flax that was burnt with fire, and the bands loosed from off his hands. And he found a new jawbone of an ass, and put forth his hand, and took it, and slew a thousand men therewith. And Samson said, With the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps, and with the jawbone of an ass I have slain a thousand men. And it came to pass when he had made an end of the speaking, he cast away the jawbone out of his hand and called that place Ramath Lehi. All right, so he gets down to the bottom of the hill and the Philistines start shouting with excitement. Oh, we've got him, basically. You know, look at this. We've got him. They're carrying him, whatever it was. They've got him bound. He's, he's the prisoner. He's at our mercy. And they are getting excited. They think they've won this battle that they didn't even know was going to be a battle. And they think they are in victory. They shout. And it says, the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon Samson. This has been the theme of Samson, Samson's life. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, and he does something great and marvelous in the strength department. And it says, the cords that were upon his arms became as flax that was burnt with fire or dried out. In other words, it was just, it was just like dried, dried weeds with flax is, and he snapped them right off. And it says he picked up a new jawbone of a donkey or an ass, which means that this one was still fresh. It probably had meat still hanging on it. It's probably that fresh. 
Okay, if not, it's still not dried out. It is a, it is a new, it's, it's not, not old, dried out, rotten. And he picks it up. Here we go, another, another picking up of a dead thing that he's not supposed to be touching. And Samson violates his, his Nazarite vow every time he turns around. And it says that he slew a thousand men with that. Now, this has got to be some kind of battle. These guys are come up, coming up to him armed. You know, at least they have swords. There's at least a thousand of them, if not some that run away. Uh, probably some spears. You know, I wouldn't be, wouldn't be surprised if there wasn't some arrow, you know, archers in this midst. And he just picks up a jawbone of a donkey and starts, starts swinging. And swings and swings and swings. And it says, and he, he said, heaps upon heaps of bodies and he slays a thousand men. And it says at the very end, he throws away the, the jawbone of the donkey and he calls the place Ramoth Lehi, which means the height of the jawbone, which means the stacks and stacks of dead people around him. You know, this is, you picture the anger and the, the ferociousness of, of Samson when this happens, and then God's spirit came on him. Yes, and this is what happens here. He makes a great slaughter of these people that came to arrest him. And we know there was a minimum of a thousand and it's quite likely that many of them were cowards and ran away. So there were probably more than a thousand people involved in this group that came to arrest him. Uh, Didn't they 3,000 3, men of Judah went up oh. to arrest him. Which kind of makes me think that there was probably more Philistines in the, in the valley waiting for him uh, than that. But he ends up killing a thousand people. Which like now he's touched the, the jawbone of the donkey that's that's freshly freshly dead. He's got bones of you know stacks of people laying around him, which means he had to touch some of them in the battle. And so here he is over and over again violating his vow that God put on him. And the only one he hasn't violated up to this point now is to have his hair cut. His hair is long. Every other vow he is he is violated and broken. And he calls the place the height of the jawbone. Okay, I use the jawbone and look at all the stacks of people around me. Samson was not a nice man. Obviously was not a nice man. He had a very bad temper. And in that temper, he does things that he shouldn't, shouldn't do. But God uses him anyway. And this is the picture of God's grace. God will use us even when we make mistakes, even when we do it wrong. You know, the amazing thing is when we witness, when we talk to people, when we share the gospel, when we do things for God, even when we stumble and bumble it, God says, I can use you. If he can use a Samson who's making a mess out of everything, he can use anybody. And Samson's mess was that he just was, had a vicious temper he was a murderer for all practical purposes. He's murdering people. He's killing, you know, he killed the 30 people to pay off a debt. He, he then turned around and killed a great slaughter. It doesn't tell us how many people died in the great slaughter. And now he kills a thousand men. You know, this is a man, when he loses his temper and gets angry, people are going to get hurt. And that's not uncommon with people who have temper. They harm people frequently. 
and often end up in prison because of their anger. And you'll hear them say, well, they made me do it. They made me so mad I just couldn't help myself. And I'm sure that this is the, the lament of Samuel, uh, Samson. You, they made me do it. They made me so mad I just couldn't help myself. And this one, it was me or them. They were going to kill me. They had me bound. They were going to kill me. So I made sure I killed them first. He's going to have his excuses. He's going to have his reasons. He's a one-man wrecking crew for the Philistines. And, uh, you know, this is, this is where he's at. And he's, and he's there rejoicing in his victory. Verse 18, and, and he was sore athirst and called unto the Lord and said, you have given me this great deliverance into the hand of your servant, and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hands of these uncircumcised? But God clave in the hollow place that was, was in the jaw, and there came water thereout, and when he had drunk, his spirit revived again. And when he revived, therefore, he called the name thereof Enhachorah, which is in Lehi unto this day. And he judged Israel all the day, in the days of the Philistines 20 years. All right, so he has this great big battle. He's killed a 1,000 men, and at the end of the battle, he's thirsty. That's not a surprise. <laughs> I think it would be very thirsty work killing a thousand people. I don't know how long it would take to kill a thousand guys by hand, but it would take a while. You know, we're not talking minutes. He's not firing a machine gun to kill people in minutes. You know, this is hand-to-hand -hand battle with, the, with basically a club. And, you know, even if he's killing one a minute, that's a thousand minutes to kill a thousand men. And it probably wasn't that fast. Okay. We're talking about some time here. He's taking hours, probably, of just battling and killing these guys. And at the end of that, he's worked hard, and he goes, I've worked up a thirst. God, I'm, you know, you know he goes, God, you gave me this great deliverance to me, and now I'm going to die of thirst. <laughs> you know, and you're going to give me to the, these uncircumcised? You know, God, you, you, you gave me a victory, and now you're going to kill me? Yeah, this is the story that happens so often in the Bible. You're going to, you know, Samson's parents, you're going to have a child, and you're going to raise him as a Nazarite. We're going to die. <laughs> we, we saw an angel. <laughs> you know, uh, over and over we see this kind of mentality. God tells them something. He gives them a job to do. And their first response is, okay, we're going to die. Samson just been given a great victory over the Philistines. Okay, now you're going to let me die. I, I kill all these guys, and now I'm going to die of thirst. This is the way Christians ought oftentimes when God uses them to do something great and all of a sudden there's a spiritual thirst at the end of it. God, I just don't know how this could happen. I'm, I'm thirsty. I'm, 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 I'm dying of thirst spiritually. Elijah went to Mount Carmel, called down fire from heaven. Queen Jezebel says, I'm going to get you. and He runs for his life almost 200 miles away gets to where he's going and says, God, I'm the only one that's there, and how can you deal this way with me? And God says, what are you doing down here? I got 5,000 who haven't bent my knees. Go back to where you belong. Go back where I told you to be. How many times in our life do we do something really big for God, and then we go into some kind of depression, and Satan just gets to us? And how does he get to us a lot of times? Well, it could have been more. If you'd have just been a better servant of God, more could have happened. Well, you know, you just, you weren't all that good. You know, you, you didn't make, you didn't do very well. 
almost every single time we get on a spiritual mountaintop, there's a valley that follows it. And if we're not careful, that valley can destroy us. And this happens over and over again. One of the great, and I think it was D.L. Moody, and I could be wrong, it could be Spurgeon, one of the great evangelists in the, in the last couple hundred years would give evangelistic uh, uh, crusades and then spend a week in depression because not enough people got saved. Hundreds and thousands got saved and he'd be depressed that not more got saved and he would be depressed for a week. I can't remember who it was, but, but that's the kind of things we do with God. We do something big for God, we let him use, use us, and then Satan gets in there and says, well, it wasn't enough, or you didn't do this, or you didn't do that, uh, you're just not good enough. And it's also partially what God will do. God does not want us dwelling on the mountaintops. He wants us dwelling in the valley of the shadow of death because that's where we really get to know him. When we're on the mountaintop, it feels good. You know, if you've ever been there, it feels good to be on top of the world. God, you're blessing me. Everything is, everything is good. And those times are very dangerous for us because those are times when we don't th feel like we need God because we're being blessed. You go to a great big crusade and you've had a wonderful weekend at this crusade and you're on a mountaintop and then you have to come down and face the rest of the world who's not as excited as you are. You, you come into church and you're all excited about something God has done and you start sharing it with them and everybody looks at you like, and what's the big deal? Now, doesn't that depress you when somebody does that to you? You're all excited. God has been doing great things and they just kind of look at you like, oh, okay, so what? This is where Samson's at. He just had a great victory and they're like, and he's kind of go, okay, now what? Now what am I going to do? I've had this great victory. A thousand people have died and I'm thirsty. And God, I'm so thirsty, I'm going to die. Well, God, where's the water? Obviously, apparently there were no springs there. And then verse 19, the word but God. I'm going to have to study this. I'm going to find out how many times but God is in the Bible. Because <laughs> it happens a lot. But God clave a hollow place that was in the jaw and there came water thereout and when he had drunk his spirit came again and he was revived therefore he called the name of the place Ekhach Noah so he, God says that he split the hollow the hollow a mortar a bowl in, in, the, jaw, in, the, in the jaw now there are people that will teach you that the actual jawbone, you know gave him the water but remember when I read to him, he has been the land, the place called Lehi, and that means jaw. So I think it's a play on the word. Okay, he threw the jawbone down, and God produced a spring. Okay, uh, there are those who teach that the actual jawbone <laughs> produced water, and that's not that's not an impossibility. In in Exodus and Numbers, remember God brought water from a rock that they carried the rock they carried the rock around with them as they moved around and the water and that rock just kept producing water so it could very easily be the jawbone but it, but in this case it is in the hollow of the jaw and remember the name of the place is the jaw so i believe that god produced a spring there but it doesn't matter which way it was it's still a miracle Okay, all of a sudden this spring comes up, whether it came up from the jawbone or it came up from the, from the ground that God broke, broke, which is more likely, then 
he was able to get water and be refreshed. He's no longer feeling like he's going to die. And you know, this is the point for us with God. When we get spiritually thirsty and we seek God, he will give us living water. Jesus told the woman at the well, I am the living water. If you drink of the water that I give you, you will not thirst anymore. Now we can walk away from that living water, but he is the water that keeps our thirst spiritually taken care of. And he is saying, I want this. Now when we feel dry and thirsty, it's not because he moved. It's not because he stopped giving us water. It's because we moved or we stopped drinking the water. It's easy enough to have lots of water available to you and not drink it. Okay? Uh, it happens frequently. In America, we do this all the time. We've got some of the best water in the world, and many people don't drink water. We're barely enough water to keep themselves alive, and they're, we've got Americans that are, are dying of thirst, and they don't even know it half the time because they just don't take advantage of it. And we as Christians can do that same thing. God, I want you. How do we get the living word? We get into his word. We get taught. We pray. We spend time with him. And he fills us with living water. And this is so precious that he can fill us. He wants to fill us. You know, one of the greatest amazing things that we deal with is, number one, God loves us. God loves us. That is hard to imagine why God would love us, especially when we know what we are and who we are. It's even more amazing. God loves every sinner on this world, even those that aren't his children he loves. That is a powerful thing. When you're witnessing to people, that is one of the strongest things you can tell them. God loves you. And I was telling that to somebody just last night, and they go, God can't love me. If you just knew the things I did, and go, God knows and he loves you. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He knows what the world does. He knows what the world's capable of. And he loves. He loves us so much. That's the first most powerful tool that we have in our arsenal to talk to people about. God loves you. Because he loves you, Jesus died for you so he could forgive you. And if you've talked to enough people about God and his forgiveness, you'll hear somebody somewhere, if not more than once, Say, God can't forgive me. I've done things that God cannot forgive. Oh, if they only understood. I like to point out to David in that case. David, a murderer and adulterer, was taken and called God's friend. You know, Jacob, a conniving swindler, you know, taken and accepted by God. Levi, one of the disciples named Matthew, he was a tax collector. And in Roman days, tax collectors weren't very nice. You know, okay? They, they would buy, they would prepay the taxes for the territory they were going in. Rome says, I want 20,000 gold pieces. They go, okay, well, here's your 20,000 gold pieces. And anything above 20,000 they collected, they got to keep. And they had the army behind them, pay, pay your taxes. And they would double and triple your taxes to you. Huh? Or else. You, you know, pay, pay or else. And it wasn't prison. You know, if, you, if it was the or else, you lost everything. And he would get your property and, and everything that you had. And God chose Levi and said, come follow me. And Matthew got up and followed Jesus. What a calling. Somebody that the Jews were going to hate. 
Another one of the, the, the uh, disciples of Jesus was a zealot. We would call him a terrorist. Okay? He was a fighting against Rome, for, you know, causing problems, stealing, you know, destroying, destroying roads, destroying houses, destroying wells. He didn't matter. He would have been a terrorist. And Jesus says, follow me. Now you put the two together. You've got a zealot who hates all that's Roman, and you've got a man who hates zealots because he was on Rome's side. Always together as, one of the, as two of the twelve. And God says, I'm going to teach you guys to love each other because I want you to show God's love. What a power that we have when we come to God. He indwells us and teaches us to love. Jesus tells us to love our enemies and do good to those who despitefully use us. Now, what a hard thing to do, and we cannot do that without God. It is impossible to love those who are your enemy without God being the one that does it. And to do good to them, when all you want to do is reach out and wring their neck and chase them out of town, and God says, do good to them. Why? Because he wants us to show God's love to people. Not a Samson destroying everybody because of their disobedience. So Samson drinks this water. He's revived, and he calls the place En Hachorah, which means spring of one calling. In other words, I asked, and I got water. And then it says it's called that to this day. So they had this spring, and whenever the writing of the book of Judges happened, that spring was still producing water whether it was a spring in this little hollow that produced it or the jawbone that produced it, you know, uh, more likely the spring. If somebody took the jawbone, I'd move the jawbone around and bring the water, but, uh, but they also had a reverence, some reverence toward God. And then we find that he is going to judge Israel for 20 years. Now he starts out the wrong way. He starts out seeking vengeance on them, and he's a one-man army to destroy the Philistines and he gets rid of their dominion over Israel through these battles that have been listed. Now, they're not going to be happy, and we're going to see that you know, later on in Samson's life. They're still not happy with Samson, but they're afraid. The, the Philistines are afraid of Samson. He's a one-man wrecking crew, and they're not sending anybody out there to, to try to take care of you him. Know. He is now the ruler of Israel. He's, now, he's bad enough, but he can call up an army if he wants to because he is the ruler. And they are going to just release him. They're not going to go after him at this point. So we're going to pray. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, help us to stay refreshed through you. Help us to always trust in you and follow you and let you work through us and that you will be our deliverer always. And we ask you to be with us as we go about your business. In Jesus' name, amen.